there. Welcome to the 12th episode of the Drinkable Globe podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Cialetti. And on this episode, we've got Mr. Rob McKecky from the Wine and Spirits Education Trust. You probably know them better by their acronym, WSET. They are the premier provider of education on all things wine and spirits and sake. And I had the good fortune to sit down with Rob uh, back in August at BevCon in Los Angeles. And uh, great talking to him. He's an expat from the UK, currently living in Charlotte, North Carolina. He spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh as well. And he offers me some insight on some of his favorite places to drink uh, here and abroad. And also chats a little bit about the burgeoning cocktail scenes in many parts of the world. So here we go uh, with Rob McKecky from WSET. Just to start off, tell our audience a little bit about uh, what WSET is, uh, what you do, and um, the sorts of uh, classes and certifications you offer. Sure. So the Wine and Spirit Education Trust started in 1969 primarily as a as an apprenticeship scheme, for want of a better word, for the trade. So there were people. It was a way of making sure people coming into the wine industry had a basic foundation coming into the industry. And over the years, we've kind of morphed into the global leader in wine, spirit, and sake education. Um, so next year, we're actually celebrating our 50th anniversary, uh, and it's it's been a fun, kind of exciting ride. We've, we now are in 70 countries. Uh, we just finished our academic year, and we had 94, nearly 95,000 students last year globally. Um, so we really are kind of the global leader. Uh, and the U.S. has been a, a massive part of that market. And although I'm British, I've lived here in the U.S. now for six years. Um, and when we set up our U.S. team at the start of this year, uh, Ian Harris, our CEO, CEO, asked me to come on board because I have kind of a background in, in spirits and sake and wine. I've previously been an educator. I've worked with distributors here in the U.S. I've lived in Hong Kong, in Abu Dhabi, in Spain, so I have a pretty good handle on the, the global spirits industry. And I've also spent 20 years working in bars, restaurants, hotels, so I'm kind of plugged into that community as well. So it's nice to be able to straddle those different spheres. Uh, and we have a lot of MWs, Masters of Wine, in our organization. We have a lot of Saki Samurai. Um, so it's, it's nice to be the, the kind of spirits guy for the US, for, for WSET. Um, and we have a brand new advanced level three spirits qualification coming out next summer, which is really exciting. So spirits has, have grown so much in the US in the last kind of five, 10 years with the proliferation of, of craft and also just sales generally of spirits have kind of exploded it's it's a great time to be involved with spirits education and more and more people are understanding that the benefits of that so so who's primarily taking the courses is it bartenders distributors a little bit of everybody people across the trade it's a little of everyone and in the u.s specifically we're very very much in demand with kind of the multinationals and the distributors and, and retailers, but the hospitality sector is starting to catch up as well. And I think bartenders, restaurateurs um, are starting to see the value in, in our qualifications, hotel, even, you know, banqueting staff, if you're working in catering environments and you've got people and you want to make sure they just have a, a good foundation, our level one spirits course is a, is a great way of making sure that it's your first job, you know, you're working in a, a tasting room or a, a catering environment, this is the difference between gin, vodka, rum, just to have that foundational stuff down. And then once you get to level two, you're finding a lot of distributors, reps, 
brand ambassadors, bartenders. There we and we really focus on tasting technique and, and building a skill set on not only understanding the basic categories, but how to differentiate. How if you're a rep, why should my product be on your back bar rather than somebody else's? If you're a bartender, how do I engage my guest in the story of this gin when they are generally drinking something else? To to give people the skill set and the confidence to be able to talk. Um, about a, a different category or, or a brand. And we're a non-profit, we're brand agnostic. So it, it, it gives us a, a unique perspective. We're not beholden to anybody. Mm. So when we're talking to people, it really is from a place of understanding the broader categories and having a methodology from which to speak rather than just giving a brand story. So uh, consumers these days seem to be a lot more knowledgeable uh, about how things are made, where they come from, you know, obviously social media has done a lot for that. Do you open the the testing to enthusiasts and that sort of thing beyond the trade? Absolutely. And, and you know, the world has become a much smaller place in the last 20, 30 years. When I first started working in bars in the early mid-90s, I mean, first of all, there were, you had the, 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 the amount of products you had available was much more limited. Mm -hmm. I mean, your choice of wine was red or white. Your back bar was maybe three bottles of gin, one bottle of bourbon, and a few scotches. And I think with the internet, with travel becoming much more affordable, um, with access to information being much more readily available, consumers are much more demanding, which holds everybody to a higher account, which is, which is a good thing. Um, so what we tend to do is we generally don't deliver the education, we develop the materials and then we, we work through a network of approved program providers. So in the US we have over 50 program providers around the country. Some of them focus specifically on wine or spirits or sake, a few offer all of our courses. Now some of those might just want to offer the courses internally for their staff, but we have quite a few of consumer facing schools as well. Mm -hmm. So you'll find a lot of enthusiasts taking our courses, particularly the level one and level two courses, people who just want to have a good foundational knowledge in sake or spirits or wine. And, you know, you know, they generally, very few people understand all spirits categories equally. Yeah. So someone's either a whiskey person or a gym person. So because we offer kind of that scope across all of the major categories, it gives people the opportunity to, to learn, <coughs> excuse me, to learn about the different categories, uh, and then they can take it from there and focus if they choose there's an area they want to really dive deep into. So we, we, I think as you go through our curriculum, through the various levels, that percentage of consumer changes, it becomes more trade focused as we go through. Mm -hmm. But definitely at the more foundational levels, it's a good mix of consumer and trade. Yeah, I would imagine if you're going to invest that much time and in, in, in money in, in studying something, you're really going to there must be some interest that you want to do this for a living in some way so there's certainly an aspirational quality to this you find a lot of people uh, you know <laughs> so many students I've come across over the years it's a second career they've come from finance or banking or legal professional medical yeah. and they have this aspiration that they want to open a distillery or a winery or they want to become a, a, a booze rider or they want to become a, you know that they have a, a <laughs> this idea that it's a very romantic industry and because the liquor industry does a great job of creating this aspirational quality around it. Um, and then sometimes you have to remind people, it's not all just the fun, tasting, visiting distilleries. There's, a, there's some sweat and, and sweat equity that goes into this as well. But you definitely see that. A lot of people see the growth of the spirits industry and 
you know, <laughs> for for good or bad or, or both. Mm. Sometimes there's there's certainly a lot of people who think it could be a career leap. Now, do you offer any sort of spirit specific ones, or is it broad across the board? Does it get more? I mean, like, do you offer like a specific whiskey one, a specific gin one, or we don't? So the way our courses are structured, they're they're quite modular. Mm. So whilst there are there will be a, a section, a module on rum, on whiskey, on gin. We tend to kind of look at the broad scope and it's very much a comparative thing. So it's understanding, you know, when we, when we look at our methodology to tasting and our systematic approach to tasting, it's very much about giving someone the skill set of understanding where taste flavor comes from. So is it from the raw material? Is it from choices that the distiller is making? through fermentation, through distillation? Are there post-distillation operations happening that are creating different flavors and aromas and creating those critical thinking skills that can be taken across various categories? Mm -hmm. But by doing that, we do touch on every category and, and you know we give enough foundational knowledge of each category that someone can come away with a good understanding of agave spirits or gin or aromatized wines. So uh, let's go through um, you know each of the levels. Let's stick to spirits okay. for now. Um, you know what are they going to learn in level one, and then how does that progress through the levels? Sure, level one is, is very much about just knowledge. I mean, here at Bevcom, we actually have a session um, tomorrow, which is really about how do we take someone from knowing things to mastery, mm -hmm. and that's really about how we set up all of our courses. Everything starts at a very foundational level, understanding the nuts and bolts of a category. Um, from there, as we go through to a level two, a more intermediate level of knowledge, it's being able to connect some of those dots, being able to compare and contrast and understand the factors that are leading to not only the decisions that a distiller is making, but you know where those tastes and flavors are coming from and how within a category, different decisions can create different flavor profiles and then across categories, how those different aspects will change the style of a product mm -hmm. and, and how to differentiate what are the fundamental differences between categories but also within a category once you get to level three it's it's really a lot more about start you're being able to analyze those things and not only understand them but be able to describe to other people in your own words what's going on in the processes and then for wine for instance we have our diploma at level four there it's really about you know looking at trends and analyzing data and being able to come up with your own ideas and thoughts on, on on the industry as a whole. So there's very much a progression in from just knowing things to really understanding the in industry at a very intricate level and, and from there being able to develop your own thoughts and ideas on trends and, and things like that. So tell me about the sake qualifications. Sake is very interesting as well. I'm, I'm a little bit of a sake nerd as well. As so. am I. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> so right now we only have a, a level one and a level three in sake. Mm -hmm. We don't have a level two. So the level one is generally offered as a six hour, either one day or a weekend course. And sake is one of those things that very, very few people are knowledgeable about. So we get a really good cross section of trade and consumers who want to take our level one sake course. And we will take you through the fundamentals of production, you know, what the raw materials are, how they are used, and then we'll look at some of the key styles of sake. And, mm. and the fact that there are different styles of sake is kind of new to a lot of people yeah, as well. Yeah. So really showing people that there is more to sake than just that sake bomb or that warm sake you had in a band restaurant when you were 20 years old. There's a wealth of styles out there. It's the most versatile 
food pairing beverage on the planet mm. doesn't have tannins in the same way wine does that clashes with food doesn't have the same levels of of acids in the same way wine does that clashes with food it's an umami rich beverage that plays very nicely with a wealth of foods and, and showing people that it's more versatile than just being with Asian food. Yeah. Um, and then we like to give people some of the basics of the, the kanji, of the symbols, so that they can actually look at a bottle yeah. and tell whether it's a, a Junmai or a Daiginjo. So after that six-hour class, at the end of which they'll take a 30-question multiple-choice test, they really come away feeling like they have a good grasp of the category. And then our level three, that's a little more intense. So that starts with a, an online period of study, so mm. a pre-course, just to make sure that everybody has those nuts and bolts down. And then that's generally offered as kind of like a three-day intensive course where we take all of the steps in the process of sake production and really delve deep into decisions that the brewer is making along the way that are going to affect style, flavor. So by the end of that course, when they're taking their test, it's a 50-question multiple-choice test. There are some short answer theory questions as well, which generally focus on showing a level of understanding of the steps that a brewer must go through to create a certain style of sake. Mm. Um, and then there's a blind tasting component for our level three as well. So you will have to blind taste uh, two sake and write a, a tasting note on those using our systematic approach to tasting. So it's, it's quite daunting for a lot of people when you... Yeah. Um, so that, that tends to be a little more trade focused just because of the level of, uh, of depth that we go into in the category. But you'll come away with that with a very, very strong knowledge of, of sake as a category. Now with, with the global reach that you have, I just want to get a sense... Uh, what any particular regions you've been seeing anywhere in the world where their their beverage programs are really starting to develop like the beverage cultures the bar scenes anything that uh sure. i think yeah th 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 there's very different markets so you have very developed markets very sophisticated markets like the u.s like the uk where you know the the, the focus is slightly different there it's almost getting it, it's coming full circle craft is massive yeah so it's all about local is better and the proliferation of craft brewers craft uh, distillers and people getting creative using local ingredients and then you look at other parts of the world developing markets you look at somewhere like brazil mm. that's really seeing a massive boom in hospitality right now and that you're seeing people crying out for quality education and now we have great educators there we one of our educators there just one educator of the year last year and you're really seeing them going into these emerging markets and you know whether it's hotels restaurant groups bars just striving for knowledge and really wanting to separate themselves from the crowd and just wanting to taking some pride in the craft of of making drinks i also think as well you've got markets like australia where they do a lot of really cool stuff mm. asia is huge right now as well like china mm. and hong kong um, we, we see great numbers there so I, I think you have very developed markets like the uk and the us but having said that, there's still huge potential for growth here in the US. Last year we had um, just under 15,000 students in a country of 360 million people. There's still a, a big chunk of the population oh, yeah. to, to tap into. And I think you, you have those large metro areas, which either coast and, and, and some of the Midwest and parts of Texas, where you have very developed beverage scenes and cocktail scenes, but then there are other cities. I mean, I, I've been hanging out in cities like Kansas City and, you know, Madison and, you know, these places where 
they don't get a lot of love from the, the big brands and they don't have the luxury of the big shows coming to town. But there's great, passionate bartenders who are traveling around the country, oh, yeah. striving for knowledge. And, and we're finding that we're having a lot of success in those markets because people just want to learn more and, and they're just passionate and they're hungry. And I think that, that's exciting that there's still so much exuberance about learning. I think that, I mean, keeps me in a job. So it's, it's a great thing. I think it's, uh, it, it's fun to see. And I think, you know, as, as I don't get to travel globally as much as I used to, but I get to travel very much in the U.S. And you see a lot of, a lot of passion, a lot of enthusiasm, and you also see a lot of artistry as well. I mean, there's, there's the creativity uh, never ceases to amaze me. And the collaboration across categories as well, I think, is something that you're starting to see a lot more of. People wanting to understand the rules so they can bend the rules and then they can start to create new categories and, and looking for gaps in the markets and unique presentations and unique unique ways of kind of expressing uh, and showcasing products. I think that's that's fascinating to see. Speaking of some of these, these secondary markets, you talked about Kansas City and some of the other ones, any places within there like that have become kind of your favorite haunts, any type <laughs> of place that you like to go like what do you I mean for you when you're when you want to just sort of wind down what's your sort of go-to drinking environment well when I want to just wind down I love a dive bar where I could uh. just sit back and, and have a beer but <laughs> <laughs> beer's the one thing I don't have to teach about so yeah. beer's the one thing I still get to drink for fun um, what, what's really interesting I mean even things like sake you're finding local craft so craft beer is so huge now you're finding a lot of craft brewers who are playing with rice now so yeah. you're starting to see these craft sake breweries popping up around the country um, and I think that's an exciting development. Yeah, even like Minneapolis and Nashville have got really good sake brewers. I met a, I met a brewer from Nashville at Tattles a few uh, about a month ago, which was which was fascinating. And I mean, uh, people don't realize I think a lot of time Arkansas is the the rice capital yeah. of the U.S. So there's a great guy there called Ben Bell who just oh. spent two years out in Japan, uh, and he's doing great stuff there. And I think that's really exciting because that's a great way of a gateway into the category for people when people see something local mm -hmm. they're excited they get behind it because they want to support local and then if that gets them wanting to ask more questions about the broader category and about sake and then they start wanting to understand nihonshu japanese sake i think that's a great thing it opens up the category and it makes it um, accessible for people and i think especially with something like sake that can seem so almost mystical it's yeah. remote it's so different culturally i mean there's hundreds of years of history and, and culture and heritage there it can be a little daunting for someone trying to get into that category i mean it uses a totally different alphabet i mean it, it's very very abstract yeah i mean i think a lot of that's yeah it's been and, and i've been saying this a lot it's a lot of it has to do with sort of the lack of marketing for Western markets because I think that there's a lot of tradition based in the category where it's like oh we've got our family name on this bottle this is all we need but for the U.S. You, people kind of just see a lot of kanji and they're like I don't can't make one off from the other. So, so I think sake is kind of unique. I think outside of kind of the four or five big brewers, most sake producers are tiny. Yeah, they're very regional, so they don't have the 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 money or the expertise or the personnel to be able to go out there and drive the business so they're relying on enthusiasts passionate importers in other markets to do the job for them and that doesn't always trickle down to the feet on the street i mean you've, you've got a a rep for a distributor in a market unless they're passionate about sake and they have an understanding 
then sometimes things get get missed along the way. And I yeah. think where we're having a lot of success is there is going in there, and then you know we we focus on those distributors, those reps. Let's give them the tools to be able to convey the message effectively, create the enthusiasm there, then consumers start asking the questions and that opens up opportunities to offer classes to consumers and bartenders are asking questions. And I think it's that multifaceted approach. You can't just focus on one aspect of the industry. You have to start that conversation with everybody. And once everybody is amenable to the conversation, then you can really start to do some exciting things. And I think anything that makes any category more accessible is going to be exciting. For instance, our new level three spirits that's coming online, we're going to be introducing Baiju. Oh, wow. and, and that's just, I think that's that's exciting for us because it's something that very few people know a yeah. lot about. And, and there's, again, lots of tradition and history there. It's a very different uh, pro production process. It's a, a semi-solid state uh, fermentation, which is very different. The type of distillation is very different. The, the aromas and flavors that are created are very different. But again, it, it's something that's exciting and interesting, and you can take the fundamentals of the chemistry of fermentation and distillation, but come at it from a totally different angle. And it's about developing those critical thinking skills, so then you can kind of say, well, how does that relate to rum or whiskey or gin? Or if I'm curating a beverage program, how can I introduce these new concepts and new flavors while maintaining the message of our program? And I think those are really interesting conversations to, to start having. And the U.S., I think, is, is a market where those conversations can be had very effectively because there's, there is, it's such a culturally diverse country where you have all of these different communities. I mean, we're here in L.A. in Koreatown, and I think you know, you've got little Tokyo up the street yeah. in Chinatown. You have all of these different communities, and it's that hybridization that's, that creates some really cool dynamics, I think. And I think you know, when you can start to introduce these spirits categories on the global market, you can do some really exciting things. Interesting about Baijiu is the cocktail aspect of it because it really, it doesn't really play well with others and you really kind of have to, f I know a lot of the bartenders are really sort of challenging themselves to try to find uh, the right cocktail to introduce it to people and because that's, that's let's face it, that's the entry point for most people into sure. most spirits. They're not drinking it neat right off the bat. Well, so And you can, it doesn't even have to be something as complicated as Baiju. You look at something like aromatized wines yeah. uh, and or fortified wines. You look at Madeiras, look at uh, Quinquinas, look at you know Americanos, all of these great historic products that have become unfashionable over the years because people forgot how to use them and how to play with them and how to enjoy them. So it's coming up with a you know, a way of introducing it into a beverage program. And that's where you're seeing a lot of creativity. And I think whether it's pairing with foods or whether that's cocktails or whether that's just interesting uh, service styles and different things that you can do, I think there's a lot of creativity there. And I think in a saturated market where you have so many bars and so many restaurants all striving for the same dollars, it's important to show how you're different to your competitor. And I think <clears throat> having knowledgeable staffs who have invested in education and can utilize products in a, in a new way, but it's also, you know, in a way that people can understand, but it's coming at it with a slight riff or a slightly different angle. I think that's very exciting. So uh, we're going to wrap things up. Okay. What, what I normally like to do is ask people for some shout outs to either particular places or cities or anything like that where they like to drink. So we're going to start local, national, and international. 
you're in Charlotte, correct? Correct. Tell me about some of your favorite places in Charlotte. So maybe I, your top three, maybe, or just no particular order. So or, I only moved to Charlotte about six weeks ago. I oh, was, okay. I, so you're a brand I was living Charlotte. in Pittsburgh for the last six years. Oh, if you want to talk about Pittsburgh more, then you can talk about <laughs> Pittsburgh. If, you, if, you, if you're more connected to Pittsburgh. I'm yeah. very connected with Pittsburgh for, for, for good, bad, and ugly. I, I had black and gold beaten into me for many, many <laughs> years. So... Um, I think Pittsburgh is, is, has a, a really cool scene. Some, some of my favorite spots in Pittsburgh, there's a great tiki place called Hidden Harbor. Oh, I love tiki the, places. The, I haven't doing, been in that one. That's doing amazing things. We have uh, some great craft distilleries. Maggie's Farm Rum is, oh, one, yeah, is yeah. one of my favorite rums on the planet. And, and then there's some great restaurants as well. There's chefs like Justin Severino, who has Cure Morcia, who are just doing really, really great food. So I think there's a lot of really cool stuff there. And, and Charlotte... I'm still very, very new in town, but there's, I mean, already uh, went to a, my first uh, USBG meeting and, and got talked into providing a sake seminar for the membership there. So I've already seen that there's this really vibrant kind of cool scene there and people are passionate to learn more. Um, and there's just a lot of really cool cities. I mean, Chicago is, is one of my favorite cities yeah. on the planet. I love San Diego. Um, I love Portland. I mean, uh, places like Madison, like I said, there's these... Oh, yeah, yeah. There's just some really cool... Yeah, college towns tend to really sort of thrive in that kind of thing. They do, I think. You know, I think there's a lot of really great stuff out there. And, you know, New York is great and L.A. is great. And, you know, Houston, I think, is a city that's kind of yeah, it's forgotten been, about. It's, it's such a massive city and people kind of, they always talk about Chicago, L.A. and New York. And I was in Houston a couple of months ago and, you know, you got Bobby Hugo's places yeah, like Anvil yeah, totally. and the stuff that he's doing. I, I sat at one of his spots and got the greatest education on ricea and sotol and you know mexican beverages that i had in my life and it was for, as someone who is a an educator by trade it was great to be taught from passionate bartenders who clearly knew their stuff um and, and it just kind of reminds you why you do this when you see that you know and yeah i went to his um he had a seminar at, at barcom in brooklyn i went to his it was really good it was on staff training and things like yeah, that so it was really amazing and you know and i think it's important that we we invest in our people you know and it's it's it, it's so important it, when educate i mean i i <laughs> kind of preaching from the pulpit here but education i think is so important i was very lucky in my in my younger years to work for some people who really spent time and energy you know teaching me and, and instilling in me the passion and then I was lucky enough to be able to travel to wineries and distilleries and breweries and there's nothing like kind of hearing it from the horse's mouth to kind of get you excited about something I think the more opportunities people have to speak directly to the producers to the farmers to the distillers to the brewers it creates those connections that then bartenders and, and reps and retailers can then share with consumers and i think that those are the links that are really important to maintain i think so and then uh internationally internationally any well, favorite cities or any particular place i, I mean, mean you're from the uk i'm from london i mean they kicked me out in 2002 but i still go back regularly i i love uh london i mean i love you know dandelion at the mondrian hotel is one of my favorite spots the stuff that ryan does there is outstanding it's one of the greatest beverage programs on the planet um i love spain like san sebastian is like my favorite food town in europe where i can just go and drink great regional cider and chacoli and eat tapas and just and pinchos and just have a, a great time um i think hong kong is just has this oh, yeah. frenetic energy to it that's kind of insane and mm. I, I just enjoy hanging out there i love toronto i'm actually going up to toronto in november for gourmet food and wine 
and I think another really cosmopolitan, mm. multicultural city that that has a great sake scene and a great cocktail scene. And I think, you know, I think there's there's just too many places to name. Honestly. Yeah, I haven't been. I, I, the last time I was in Toronto was like ten years ago, so I'm sure it's changed a lot <laughs> since then, as far as what their drinking scene For is. For sure. So it's uh, yeah. There's uh, I'm I'm very lucky that I get to uh, travel so much and get to experience firsthand some of the cool things that are happening mainly around the US but around the world as well it's very cool to be tapped into so many different resources makes my life much easier well cool now let's let's uh, tell us a few places where we can find uh, WSAT on the on the web where they can find you on social media anywhere you want to plug that's fine okay so the first thing I would recommend is wsetglobal.com it's a great resource just for finding out where our program providers are in the US and internationally. Uh, if anyone wants to reach out to me, it's rmakaki at wsetglobal.com. If anyone's interested in... How do you spell your name? <laughs> M-C-C-A-U-G-H-E-Y. Um, I'm happy to answer anyone's questions. If people are interested in becoming an educator or setting up their own program provider, um, we're always happy to, to help people with those kind of steps to work out whether it's right for them. Um, and you can find us around the country. We're here at BevCon this week. I'll be at Portland Cocktail Week in October. Oh, great. Uh, we'll be there all week, so we'll have quite a big presence there. I'll be at Toronto Gourmet Food and Wine. Um, you'll find us at Thirst Boston, Tales of the Cocktail, Bar Convent, Brooklyn. Uh, look out for us. Come say hi. We'd love to meet you. All right. And as always, you can find me in all the usual places at Jeff Cialetti on Twitter, Drinkable Globe on Instagram. And remember, the world is out there. Drink it up.